Chapter thirteen of Highways and Byways in Sussex. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Highways and Byways in Sussex by E. V. Lucas. Chapter thirteen St. Leonard's Forest. To the east of Horsham spreads St. Leonard's Forest, that vast tract of moor and preserve which, merging into Tilgate Forest, Bolcombe Forest and Worth Forest extends a large part of the way to East Grinstead. Only on foot can we really explore this territory, and a compass as well as a good map is needed if one is to walk with any decision, for there are many conflicting tracks and many points whence no broad outlook is possible. Remembering old days in St. Leonard's Forest, I recall in general the odoriferous, damp, open spaces of long grass suddenly lighted upon over which silver-washed fritillaries flutter and in particular a deserted farm in whose orchard it must have been late june was a spreading tree of white-heart cherries in full bearing one may easily even a countryman i take it live to a great age and never have the chance of climbing into a white-heart cherry tree and eating one's fill Certainly I have never done it since, but that day gave me an understanding of blackbird's temptations that is still stronger than the desire to pull a trigger. The reader must not imagine that St. Leonard's Forest is rich in deserted farms with attractive orchards. I have found no other, and indeed it is notably a place in which the explorer should be accompanied by provisions. To take train to Faygate and walk from that spot is the simplest way, although more interesting is it perhaps to come to faygate at the end of the day and gaining permission to climb the beacon tower on the hill in the holmbush estate retrace one's steps in vision from its summit in this case one would walk from horsham to lower beading then strike north over plummer's plain this route leads by coolhurst and through manning heath just beyond which by following the south that runs for a mile one could see nuthurst Lower Beading is not in itself interesting, but close at hand is Leonard's Lee, the seat of Sir Edmund Loder, which is one of the most satisfying estates in the county. North and south runs a deep ravine, on the one side richly wooded, and on the other, the west, planted with all the climatizable varieties of alpine plants and flowering shrubs. The chain of ponds at the bottom of the ravine forms one of the principal sources of the Adur, in an enclosure among the woods the kangaroo has been acclimatised, and beavers are given all law. North of Plummer's Plain, in a hollow, are two immense ponds, Hammer Pond and Hawkins Pond, our first reminder that we are in the old iron country. St. Leonard's Forest, and all the forests on this, the forest ridge of Sussex, were, of course, maintained to supply wood with which to feed the furnaces of the ironmasters just as the overflow of these ponds was trained to move the machinery of the hammers for the breaking of the iron stone. The enormous consumption of wood in the iron foundries was a calamity seriously viewed by many observers, among them Michael Drayton of the Polyoblion, who was, however, distressed less as a political economist than as the friend of the wood-nymphs driven out by the encroaching and devastating foundrymen from their native sanctuaries to the inhospitable downs. Thus he writes, illustrating Lamb's criticism of him that in this work he has 
animated hills and streams with life and passion above the dreams of old mythology the daughters of the weald that in their heavy breasts had long their griefs concealed foreseeing their decay each hour so fast come on under the axe's stroke fetched many a grievous groan when as the anvil's weight and hammer's dreadful sound even rent the hollow woods and shook the queechy ground so that the trembling nymphs oppressed through ghastly fear ran madding to the downs with loose dishevelled hair the sylvans that about the neighbouring woods did dwell both in the tufty frith and in the mossy fell forsook their gloomy bowers and wandered far abroad expelled their quiet seats and place of their abode when labouring carts they saw to hold their daily trade where they in summer wont to sport them in the shade could we say they suppose that any would us cherish which suffer every day the holiest things to perish or to our daily want to minister supply these iron times breed none that mind posterity tis but in vain to tell what we before have been or changes of the world that we in time have seen when now devising how to spend our wealth with waste we to the savage swine let fall our larding mast but now alas ourselves we have not to sustain nor can our tops suffice to shield our roots from rain jove's oak the warlike ash veined elm the softer beech short hazel maple plain light asp the bending witch tough holly and smooth birch must all together burn what should the builder serve supplies the forger's turn when under public good base private gain takes hold and we poor woeful woods to ruin lastly sold we shall learn later more of this old sussex industry but here in the heart of st leonard's forest i might quote also what another old author with less invention says of it under the heading of sussex manufactures thomas fuller writes in the worthies of great guns it is almost incredible how many are made of the iron in this county count gondoma well knew their goodness when of king james he so often begged the boon to transport them a monk of mentz some three hundred years since is generally reputed the first founder of them surely ingenuity may seem transposed and to have crossed her hands when about the same time a soldier found out printing and it is questionable which of the two inventions hath done more good or more harm as for guns it cannot be denied that though most behold them as instruments of cruelty partly because subjecting valour to chance partly because guns give no quarter which the sword sometimes doth yet it will appear that since their invention victory hath not stood so long a neuter and hath been determined with the loss of fewer lives yet do i not believe what soldiers commonly say that he was cursed in his mother's belly who is killed with a cannon seeing many prime persons have been slain thereby cannon were not of course the only articles which the old sussex ironmasters contrived the old railings around st paul's were cast in sussex 
and iron fire-backs were turned out in great numbers. These are still to be seen in a few of the older Sussex cottages in their original position. Most curiosity dealers in the country have a few fire-backs on sale. Iron tombstones one meets with, too, in a few of the churches and churchyards in the iron district. There are several at Wadhurst, for example. I have seen grass-snakes in plenty in St. Leonard's Forest, and was once there with a botanist, who, the day being fine, killed a particularly beautiful one. But the forest is no longer famous as once it was for really alarming reptiles. The year 1614 was the time. A rambler in the neighbourhood in August of that year ran the risk of meeting something worth running away from. Just as John Steele, Christopher Holder, and a widow woman did. Their story may be read in the Harleian Miscellany. True and Wonderful is the title of the narrative, a discourse relating a strange and monstrous serpent, or dragon, lately discovered and yet living, to the great annoyance and diverse slaughters both of men and cattle, by his strong and violent poison. In Sussex, two miles from Horsham, in a wood called St. Leonard's Forest, and thirty miles from London, this present month of August, 1614, with the true generation of serpents. The discourse runs thus. In Sussex there is a pretty market town called Horsham, near unto it a forest called St. Leonard's Forest, and there in a vast and unfrequented place, heathy, vaulty, full of unwholesome shades and overgrown hollows, where this serpent is thought to be bred, but wheresoever bred, certain and too true it is, that there it yet lives. Within three or four miles compass are its usual haunts, oftentimes at a place called Faygate, and it hath been seen within half a mile of Horsham, a wonder, no doubt, most terrible and noisome to the inhabitants thereabouts. There is always in his track or path left a glutinous and slimy matter, as by a small similitude we may perceive in a snail's, which is very corrupt and offensive to the scent, insomuch that they perceive the air to be putrefied with all which must needs be very dangerous. For though the corruption of it cannot strike the outward part of a man, unless heated into his blood, yet by receiving it in at any of our breathing organs, the mouth or nose, it is, by authority of all authors, writing in that kind, mortal and deadly, as one thus saith, Noxia serpentum est admixto sanguine pestis. Lucan. This serpent, or dragon, as some call it, is reputed to be nine feet, or rather more, in length, and shaped almost in the form of an axle-tree of a cart, a quantity of thickness in the middest, and somewhat smaller at both ends. The former part, which he shoots forth as a neck, is supposed to be an L long, and a white ring, as it were, of scales about it. The scales along his back seem to be blackish, and so much as is discovered under his belly appeareth to be red, for I speak of no nearer description than of a reasonable ocular distance, for coming too near it hath already been too dearly paid for, as you shall hear hereafter. It is likewise discovered to have large feet, but the eye may be there deceived, for some suppose that serpents have no feet, but glide upon certain ribs and scales, which both defend them from the upper part of their throat unto the lower part of their belly, and also cause them to move much the faster. 
for so this doth and rids way as we call it as fast as a man can run he is of countenance very proud and at the sight or hearing of men or cattle will raise his neck upright and seem to listen and look about with great arrogancy there are likewise on either side of him discovered two great bunches so big as a large football and as some think will in time grow to wings but god i hope will to defend the poor people in the neighbourhood that he shall be destroyed before he grow so fledge he will cast his venom about four rod from him as by woeful experience it was proved upon the bodies of a man and woman coming that way who afterwards were found dead being poisoned and very much swelled but not preyed upon likewise a man going to chase it and as he imagined to destroy it with two mastiff dogs as yet not knowing the great danger of it his dogs were both killed and he himself glad to return with haste to preserve his own life yet this is to be noted that the dogs were not preyed upon but slain and left whole for his food is thought to be for the most part in a coney warren which he much frequents and it is found much scanted and impaired in the increase it had wont to afford these persons whose names are hereunder printed have seen this serpent beside divers others as the carrier of horsem who lieth at the white horse in southwark and who can certify the truth of all that has been here related john steele christopher holder and a widow woman dwelling near faygate it would be very interesting to know what john steele christopher holder and the widow woman really saw such a story must have had a basis of some kind a printed narrative such as this would hardly have proceeded from a clear sky st leonard's forest has another familiar for there the headless horseman rides not on his own horse but on yours seated on the crupper with his ghostly arms encircling your waist his name is powlett but i know no more except that his presence is an additional reason why one should explore the forest on foot sussex especially near the coast is naturally a good nightingale country many of the birds pausing there after their long journey at the end of april do not fly farther but make their home where they first alight i know of one meadow and copse under the north escarpment of the downs where three nightingales singing in rivalry in a triangle the perfect condition can be counted upon in may by night and often by day too as surely as the rising and setting of the sun but in st leonard's forest the nightingale never sings american visitors who as mr john burroughs once did come to england in the spring to hear the nightingale must remember this End of chapter thirteen